1: Welcome to Moonshifters Radio. Today is Friday, May the 26th, 2023. Our call-in number. I would give it to you, but you'll have to wait till the second hour. Uh, the first hour, Dr. Tim is away um, until Tuesday next week. And he's given me a list of shows to play. So today is a replay from May the 10th, 2023. And I hope you enjoy. And Michael and I will be live the second hour.
2: Hello and welcome to MindShifters Radio, I'm Tim Hayes, I'm your host for the first hour and today is Wednesday, May 10th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who chooses to join us here as we spend the next couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient and accessible tools I've ever encountered That chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download from that page the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. All you need to do is click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again, absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness." And if you do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you will see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the reality management worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. You can also see on that page a link to download a whole host of audio files of shows just like this one where people have been stepped through that worksheet process. And if you choose to listen to those, they can serve as a powerful tutorial for you to help you get maximum benefit from these tools in the shortest amount of time possible. And we help people do all of those things soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives, the more they use these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, please do so. Give us a call at 563-999-3581. So once you call that number, if you press 1 on your phone, it will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I will see that you have a comment or question. And turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. We appreciate when people do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our, our intention with this work, which is to be a service. If you are listening in the archives or you just choose not to call in live, you can still submit a comment or a question or an answer or a testimonial through email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org and you can email at jeanie at j-e-a-m-i-e at yagain.org that's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g so please let us know how this is landing for you if it's raising questions if it's answering questions for you if it's useful If there's a specific set of questions that would help you, if we explored those questions to get better results in your life or to get more out of these tools, we'd love to hear from you. We had a support group last night and the group decided to go into a a fairly deep dive of the ancient Aramaic, and the story of Mary Magdalene, and um, it was the most recent offering from Dale Allen Hoffman, who's been studying this for uh, probably close to three decades now. Um, maybe only two, but he is... Um, He's thoroughly devoted to this set of issues, these languages, the the spiritual teaching, and as Dr. Michael Royce has done, Dale has made the commitment not to be an academic scholar in this area and leave it at that, but to use his scholarly efforts and his academic studies as a way to lead him to the practices that can improve his quality of life. So he is one of those people who at various times in our history would have been called a mystic or a seeker or a shaman. Um, you know, the Christians have had some mystics over the years. I think um, Anthony DeMello would fit that description. I think Guy Finley would. Um, And by use of the term mystic, I simply mean somebody who is studying this work through the application of the work, applying these personal inquiries and or tools and techniques directly in their lives. J.M., uh, Mark David Hammer, who is now, goes by the name J.M., who channeled the way of mastery, he would certainly fit that description, in my opinion. Um, these are people who One of the things that Dale Allen Hoffman was saying last night is he refuses to nail his furniture to the floor, and by that he's referring to his beliefs, that he works to stay open and flowing. It reminds me of the line from the, uh, the movie um, where God was played by um, uh, the female singer, um, Isn't It Ironic? Her name—it will come to me. And uh, the angel, Michael, the archangel in that movie, was telling people, "Listen, don't have beliefs. Beliefs are too hard to change. Beliefs cause all kinds of problems. Have an idea, right? Have all the ideas you want, but don't have don't have a belief. A belief roots you to the ground and leaves you unmovable, and." Um, And you're supposed to be moving. You're supposed to be growing and learning. You're supposed to be expanding in your creative capacity um, always. And a belief will only always and forever block me from learning and growing and expanding, whereas an idea and a question is the path to growth and expansion. So um, in the discussion last night, um, we had uh, one or two people who were relatively new to the concept that Mary Magdalene was a great teacher. She was not an outcast and a prostitute. She was one of the disciples and perhaps um, the most beloved disciple and perhaps uh, the author of um the original John Gospels. but you know all of that may is conjecture it's um it's possibilities um, various probabilities, and yet. The core of the message remains loving, it remains hopeful, it remains expansive, and it remains focused on each and every one of us doing our own personal work, stepping into our own power to choose only love, to extend only love our own ability to grow in awareness of our own true nature. So, in that discussion, uh, Dale was again talking about the series of books by Timothy Freak and Peter Gandhi, and how unusual it is in books like that to talk about these things from ancient history that some would call spiritual to have so many references and footnotes and citations to the uh, source material that you know um, fully uh, a third of the pages in in most of their books is uh, dedicated to giving you the resources, the references that you would need to go explore these source materials for yourself. And that is um, not what you commonly find in books where people talk about religious ideas or spiritual ideas, um, often even philosophical ideas. But Timothy Reek and Peter Gandhi are committed to staying open. And, um, avoiding conclusions unless they are entertaining them as what-ifs. Because they understand that for much of this work and much of the things that went on in our world two, three, four, five, ten thousand years ago, we can't know exactly what it was that happened. And or what it exactly was meant by those languages because languages change over time. And we had a discussion, a bit of a discussion about how our own language has changed dramatically in just the years that most of us have been alive. Certain words have been created, certain other words have changed meaning dramatically, certain other words retain one meaning but can also be used for five or six other meanings and if you are not living in the culture and if you don't understand the colloquialisms, you would be lost trying to understand some of the conversations that people have and they're not lost at all. They're communicating quite effectively with each other, and that, you know, there's the idea of slang, there's the idea of colloquialisms, there's the idea of context, so that was all part of our discussion, and um, the hour or so of the presentation that we listened to from Dale Allen Hoffman. And he can be found at DaleAllenHoffman.com. And we have plenty of time for comments or questions. Our second hour today is going to be a prerecorded hour from Michael and Jeannie, or Michael, I guess. It is The Healing Power of Forgiveness. It's an interview that Michael did with Lou Corletto. So, how can we support you today? What is on your mind? I have been reading from the book, A Walk in the Physical. And we talked about the importance of awakening by releasing your beliefs. The article, the essay in this book is titled, Awakening through freedom from belief. Freedom from belief leads to awakening. That's essay number 60. We also read Choose Joy and Seeking Truth Beyond the Intellect. And the responsibility is ours. And we had a bit of a discussion about, and this, this, this really gets people at different times the concept that you need do nothing and I know that when I first heard that it just kind of rankled inside of me it it went against everything I've been taught about duty and responsibility responsibility to my family and myself and my country and even my school but the 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 distortion that can happen I just flashed on and I think I've told this story before, but I flashed on an event that happened when I was in college, and if this was a freak one off event and nothing like this ever happened, I wouldn't use the story in a in a discussion like this but these kinds of things happen on a regular basis. The story is that I was coming home to the dormitory I lived in late one night. I was I was a senior in, in college and I was the resident assistant for the second floor of this building. And there were about 30 residents on my floor and about 30 residents on the on the first floor. And there was another student who was um, the resident assistant for the first floor. And I'd been away late into the night over at the computer lab working because I was also teaching a couple classes to lower classmen, and I had to do that work after the computer lab was closed. So I came back to the dorm to find the hallway filled with angry Students.
1: They were residents
2: of our dormitory and they had bats and they had white athletic socks filled with rocks they were swinging around and they had, um, uh, they had planned to go and attack violently physically with bats and rocks and socks and other students on this campus. It was a riot in the making. And as I walked in the door, I was shocked. These were, these were my fellow students, my fellow dorm mates. Uh, the dorm is small enough that it's almost like a fraternity. And I knew most of these people were reasonable, gentle souls. And yet here they were, whipped up to a frothy foam, about to head out. It was, you know, at the time I wouldn't have said anything other than, boy, it's lucky I was there. Now I would say, you know, it was a divine intervention to have me come back to the dorm at that time. And I said, what's going on? And they said, you know, John or whatever his name was for the the first floor or resident assistant, you know, he's going to lead us and we're going over to this other dorm and we're going to, you know, crack some skulls. And I just said, oh, really? Let me have a talk with John for a minute. (laughs) and and this is just a story about how how quickly it can go awry when we hold on to a belief or we hold on to the concept that we must do this or that and we have to have, you know, allegiance to our dorm and our group and our students or our school or our town or our country or our race and it just goes off the rails so quickly when we lose focus of the higher priorities, and for me for for my entire life, one of the highest priorities has always been love, acceptance, gentleness, respect, compassion. Use whatever word you want so i you know, like I said, it was just I, at the time I would have said it was lucky now I would say it was kind of divine intervention that I was there at that time, and I've been raised by the parents I've been raised by who both of my parents would have calm heads in a crisis. I said before, I I grew up with the idea that when something really serious happened, a car accident or a personal injury to somebody or a big weather event I downloaded from watching my parents, I may have heard them say this or it might have just formulated it in my head because they both acted this way. I downloaded the phrase, this, whatever this is, this crisis, this is way too important to panic about. Take a breath, get focused, and then take an action. So it was just a blessing for everyone involved that I showed up in that dorm at that time. And I went into John's room and said, hey, John, can I have a conversation with you away from the maddening crowd? <laughs> and I said, John, um, what's happening? And he was all puffed up. Yeah, we're going to work. Ahead. And he just was spewing the same lines that i have been hearing in the hallway from all these other students. And I said, John, do you realize what's happening here? And do you realize you're going to ruin your college career? And you're going to lead these people to get arrested for battery? And, and that this is silliness, and, and within a few minutes of just some clear talk away from the crowd, he got it, and he diffused, and he could see the perspective. But when you lose that perspective, when you're focused on, I have to do this, and I have to live up to my responsibilities, and, and you're blindly following something as a belief or a dogma, or out of a passion that's unbridled. It can go off the rails, which is why a phrase like, you need do nothing, can be so powerful. And I don't need to do anything. And ironically enough, the more I step into that realization, the more I realize it isn't another belief that says, I should just do nothing and be a bump on a log. It is an invitation for me or anyone who picks up the invitation or accepts it to explore the possibility that they are free to choose to teach only love each moment. They don't need to do anything and so everything they do they can choose and they can choose for love, they can choose for peace, they can choose for healing, they can choose for compassion, they can choose for gratitude each New present moment. Awareness of this and application of that observation in one's life can excel your move you along your path exponentially. So here is an essay number 65 titled, We Are All Family. Remember the story I was just telling you. These were all students on the same campus and they were going to march to a a neighboring building filled with students at the same campus. and They were going to do serious violence and destruction of property simply because somebody got offended, somebody took offense to something that was said or done earlier in the day. And they just poured their mind energy into these thoughts about how they have no right to do that to us, and that's disrespecting us, and we can't let them do that. And It was basically street mentality. So here's this essay. We Are All Family, essay number 65 from the book A Walk in the Physical. The essay reads, Us versus them thinking currently prevails in our society. Because of the physical rule set of our reality, life on this planet evolved in a kill or be killed environment, and it was physically beneficial to ensure one's self and one's group succeeded, even at the expense of other individuals or groups. Our cultures enshrined the importance of supporting one's group, whether it be a tribe, a sports team, a nation or especially one's family. And yet, where we truly come from, we are all family. We are all intrinsically connected to one another. That statement is not just a nice-sounding platitude. It is a statement of actual fact. Spiritually, all of us are a part of one incredible whole we are all not only connected we are part of one another this is true no matter what role we temporarily come and play on earth this is true of every single person we meet the cashier behind the register at the grocery store our best friend the person collecting our trash, the worker in China who made our clothes, even the next-door neighbor's dog, we're all part of one another. Thus, we do not need to differentiate between our people and other people. It may have been natural to do so in the context of our long history on earth, but it is not fundamental to who we are. Our true nature is one of love. In fact, we've come here to this place partly so that we can explore what that means and to learn how to truly love everyone more fully, even within a rich and challenging context. That means learning to genuinely extend love and accept others even when they are not Part of our immediate group. The next time you interact with someone who seems like a stranger to you, take a moment to be present with them and try to peer into what they really are. Can you drop all of your preconceptions, all of your identity labels, and truly see them? Can you sense that you are indeed connected to them? Can you feel the wonderfulness of their unique presence? If you look close enough, past all the ideas of your human mind, you may just sense their brightness, and it will speak to something in you too. For none of us are truly separate from one another. We are all family. And as I read that, I remember that in the way of mastery, as I was reading it last year in a very slow and deliberate way with commentary, I remember talking about how occasionally it would say, here's an exercise. And sometimes, to my eye and ear, there would be exercises Kind of hidden in the text. And there's one exercise that directly speaks to the essay we just read. And it's the idea that you can take a breath and get centered in yourself before you interact with any other person. And you can recognize there is no such thing as a stranger. And that the person that you're about to interact with is your brother and sister is connected to you deeply truly in any way that actually matters so I just thought I would flip here quickly through the book to see if it would pop into into my uh, vision but it's at At the breath, before interacting with anybody. So that message, I remember uh, having discussions with people about this uh, kill-or-be-killed environment and um, the book that Darwin wrote about the... uh, Origin of the Species is the title of the book, and how so many people came away from that saying, yes, the the world has evolved with survival of the fittest. And how thoughts like that, that survival of the fittest is really the law upon which life is governed on this planet, is a lie. It's it's cherry-picking A few things in that book but anybody who studies nature knows that while there is some of this the biggest and the strongest when they have a fight with somebody that's weaker um, the biggest and the strongest survive. There's a little bit of that and at the same time that's true think about an ant colony think about a flock of birds think about a school of fish think about a herd of bison think about a pod of whales and on and on and on it is cooperation it is collaboration that's the true strength of moving things forward on this planet think about the building of a skyscraper. No one person ever built a skyscraper. No one person ever built a city. These bridges are not built by single people. They are built through the cooperative effort of teams of people and sometimes teams interacting with other teams. I'm pretty sure the, uh, there's another truth about that book. It's niggling at the back of my mind right now that the book is The Origin of Species by Darwin. And there's another truth that's been cited multiple times about how many times the word love is cited in Darwin's book or the concept of love. It's far more than you would imagine because you don't hear about that. You don't hear about Darwin wrote about love as the power that moves everything, and that because you hear, oh yeah, Darwin, Origin of the Species, yeah, survival of the fittest, the dog eat dog, kill or be killed. This is another reason why you know it's it's important when you can when you have the. Uh, the desire or the passion to really know something, to try it out for yourself, and/or to go to the source material as often as you can. So, you know, for instance, um, the books by Timothy P- uh, Freak and Peter Gandhi, and instead of just listening to someone like Dale Allen Hoffman, who's read Timothy Freak and Peter Gandhi's books, and who's connected with timothy and gotten to be friends with him and instead of just listening to what dale says about this it's a really good thing to get some of those books and at least read the books that dale was reading and then occasionally you may be motivated to look at you know the one-third of the book that's all bibliography and references you might be motivated to get one of those books and dig in a little deeper to see, you know, what was the source material that Timothy Freak and Peter Gandhi were using. I remember one time I was reading a Guy Finley book, and in a footnote, there was a, a reference to a Krishnamurti book. And I just, my, my spirit lit up, and I just thought, I knew it. I knew there was so much similarity between some of the phrases that Guy Finley uses and some of those things I read over and over again as I read and reread Murphy's books back in the 80s. When we're reading the same source material, we're going to you know, resonate with some of the same things. We're going to express them slightly differently, each of us. It's going to have a slightly different lens. But the idea is we are all family and cooperation and collaboration is far more useful, far more productive, far more expansive of life than survival of the fittest, than my group above every other group. There was a a very long and, and repetitive and, and not very uh, well-written book, in my opinion, by a gentleman who's no longer with us. But the book is called Redemption. And yet in that book, the point that he made over and over again is just the point I'm making here. That cooperation and collaboration are far more useful and productive than the competition model and um, he he walked that walk. He created um, an organization that brings people together to share with each other collaboratively. And as far as I know, that's still going, and they have meetings... You know, four or five times a year where they bring the leaders in various industries together to donate their time, to mentor people who are the bright minds who want to go into an industry, who want to learn
1: collaboration
2: and cooperation and building teams. And and all of those, um, a couple of those names may come to me before the end of, of our time here, but um, I, I probably should uh, <laughs> I should look that up before I move on, because the book was titled Redemption, if I remember correctly. Yes, the book was titled Redemption: The Cooperation Solution. And the author was Bernie Dorman, D-O-H-R-M-A-N-N. And um, just to be clear, I am not recommending the book because he was not a writer by trade. And there are many, many, many repetitions that get rather boring in there. But the essence of it is some really deep research into how cooperation and collaboration are far more beneficial to the individual and the group than the competition model. So uh, we have time for a comment or a question. 20, 20 minutes left.
1: The Cooperation
2: Revolution by Bernie Dorman. The title of the book is Redemption, and it was copywritten in uh, 2012. And it might be CEO Space was the group that he uh, founded and, and used to help walk the, the walk of collaboration and cooperation in business um, so I'm glad, yep. CEO Space and Bernie Dorman so if we haven't sparked any comments or questions um, I'll read one more essay before we move on to the maybe two to the second hour today um we are all family was the last essay, and this next essay is the gift of choosing to be human. Imagine for a moment that you're absolutely free and absolutely powerful imagine that imagine that nothing can limit you. Nothing is impossible, and nothing can thwart your every desire. Imagine you are. Everything. You and those who are a part of you are all that is. How would one in that kind of a state truly create and expand? If you were already everything and connected to everyone, how could you expand? How could one in such a state be able to choose something even greater? To be something even greater than oneself. If absolute freedom were already yours, how tantalizing, how tantalizing would it be to have the choice to experience a true challenge? So that if you could fully personally know unique contrast, deepen your experience, and in doing so you could become even more. But how can you know experience if you are already living the experience of being one with everything and connected to everything? From that state of feeling one with everything, understanding you're part of everyone and they're a part of you, it would be quite a challenge to grow and expand. There's no contrast. There's no differences. So how exciting would it be to be able to experience a new level of limitation that you could once again see how well you could exert these incredible powers of choice that you possess? What would it be like to be so free that you could choose to be constrained? One way of thinking about this is to say this is what we really are, you and I and every other human. We really are limitless, absolutely free beings. And in our absolute freedom, we've chosen to participate in a truly incredible experiment to push the very boundaries of freedom and expansion. We've chosen to forget truly are for a while, and to be and experience being mortal beings on earth. From the perspective of man, the choice to be frail, challenged, powerless, and decaying can seem almost impossible to comprehend. However, from the perspective of spirit, having the opportunity to actually experience those things and to actually impact others while they are on their own rich journeys? This is an incredibly profound gift. How much greater a gift could be given by the Creator to spirits who are already absolutely free than this ability to fully experience contrast so that they may in fact exercise their freedom even more? They may actually be more than they once were and learn to express that love, the love that they really are, and learn to express it in new and very real ways. about you but I never heard anything like this when I was growing up I never had any thought experiments of this nature presented to me or that tripped through my brain uh, on my own the next essay is number 67 it's titled true growth and it reads true personal growth is not done in the intellect It is not done through action itself. True personal growth is a change in one's very being. While right ideas and actions do emerge from that, they are not growth in themselves. It is the quality of our intent that must grow, not the correctness of our ideas. Like dream settings, Ideas and environments change. What is remains, and what remains and unchanging is us. This is that, you know, Ganga Ji says, sit and just notice. Sit in your quiet, sit in your meditation, sit in your time of silence, and just notice everything that comes and goes. Everything that comes and goes in your thoughts, everything that comes and goes with The the change in the temperature of the room, everything that comes and goes, the chair you're sitting on will eventually be gone, etc. Just notice everything that comes and goes. And as you exhaust observing everything that comes and goes, what you will be left with is that which never comes and goes, your true self. What remains is your true self. What remains is your consciousness the consciousness that experiences all of the things that come and go, and it experiences the quality of its ability to make choices from love rather than fear. Too often, we believe that we are growing when our ideas change, or when we do certain things, or when circumstances change, when in fact what matters is when we change. The forms that we play with, whether they be ideas, sensations, objects, circumstances, beliefs, even bodies, the forms that we play with are temporary. And improving the quality of our intent itself is growth that endures beyond all form. Thus, rather than finding new ideas or simply performing some specific actions, we must strive to actually be more loving. We must strive in every choice to accept personal responsibility, to face our fears, to allow ourselves to be open, I use the word vulnerable here, I use the word open, wide open, stay in allowance to notice the tendency to resist and shut down and breathe and open to the flow of life and to put others before ourselves. If we truly pursue that every day, we will fulfill our purpose for being physical. And as you do that, the next essay is probably a good one to end with today. The next essay says, There's nothing you can truly do wrong. Just let that sink in for a minute. There's nothing you can truly do wrong. How well does that fit with your cultural conditioning and your religious beliefs and or your political beliefs? I remember reading the Gospels, a book about the scroll, that, that they found that was the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. And it's pieces of this scroll. And they don't have the whole thing. And they don't know what they don't have. But here's what they do have they have these three teachings that come very clearly. The other apostles, the other disciples, said to Mary, Teach us what Jesus is telling you in your private times. And so she said, Okay. And here are these three things that are in the scroll. Number one, He teaches that there is no such thing as sin. That's right in line with what this essay is about. There is nothing you can truly do wrong. So point number one from the Gospel of Mary Magdala. Jesus taught her and she was aware that there is no such thing as sin the way it's been taught. There may be energy off the mark. But there isn't anything you're going to do to to truly offend the creator or God or the flow of life. The second thing is the kingdom of heaven is inside you. You don't need to search outside of yourself for this connection to your source and wisdom and the divine. The kingdom of heaven is within you. And the third point that's in that scroll is that yeshua would have taught them make no rules beyond what i've given you and so if you understand there is no such thing as sin and you understand that the kingdom of heaven is within you you don't need to go searching outside of yourself and that the the primary person who had grown into this and was trying to share it with you said, don't make any other rules. It would be very, very difficult for you to create a church based on sin and repentance and looking to the outside authorities and having all of these rules about what you can and can't eat and do with your body, etc. and your money. So, essay number 68, there is nothing you can truly do wrong. The essay reads... You exist, period. If you explore that existence sincerely enough, past all of your beliefs, you will become aware that your fundamental nature is pure, worthy, and good. You just are something that is unto itself and wondrous. You are the extension of love in form. You are the extension of the creative energy into form. The essay goes on and says, When you, as a conscious awareness, decided to come into this experience of limitation, it did not fundamentally change what you are. You committed to seemingly being bound to having the human experience. Meanwhile then, within that experience it was fully understood that you would make choices. It was known that you would have to make very difficult choices, and often those choices would be made under ignorance, fear, and even duress. It was known that you might act out of selfishness, and you might cause pain to others. Even now then, everything you've ever done is understood. All that is, God, light, love, consciousness, the one mind, all that is fully understands everything. And so the reasons for your making imperfect choices are always fully understood. Does that mean you should be selfish and cause pain to others? No, of course not. It doesn't. Not at all. You've come here to experientially grow so that in fact you can be more effectively loving, more selfless, more fearless, and more powerful for the good. You've come here to actually experientially learn not just how to perform loving actions, but how to be more loving within a rich, complex, challenging context. Selfish or fearful choices do not fulfill that purpose. They are not in alignment with your true nature, and they often lead to eventually having to experience certain other more challenging situations so as to grow past that selfishness and fear. And Nevertheless, there is nothing you can truly do wrong. All of your choices, even the, quote, suboptimal, close quotes, choices, are understood completely for what they are. They are your fundamental nature expressing in form. It's you in an experiment to challenge yourself and grow. Your fundamental nature cannot be less than wondrous, no matter what may happen in this play of life. And Source, God, Light, Love, All That Is, always always loves, extends love, and completely accepts you with a profundity that is beyond imagining. In Neil Donald Walsh's Conversations with God, Neil is told this too. And then he responds by asking, if there is no punishment, then what prevents people from doing bad things to each other? And the response came, Do you need punishment to not do bad things to each other? Perhaps many of us on earth do currently need to believe in consequences to prevent us from harming others, because that is where we actually are in our own development. It's a stage of development. And yet, when we are ready, it can be profoundly meaningful to relinquish the fear of judgment and to embrace the unimaginably deep and forgiving love that exists for us. Because when we know that love, we can act out of gratefulness, we can act out of true deepest desire to do good, to extend that good, to extend that love to extend our true nature, to be in the act of creation, which is extending and growing, and we do that out of grace rather than out of fear of punishment. We can drop guilt and shame and allow ourselves to shine bright. We can do that knowing that we are always completely loved and accepted no matter what that will challenge some people's thoughts and beliefs but that's where we'll leave it for today we just have a few minutes left so i will remind us all that we come from love we're made of the stuff we call love we actually are love and everything else is false this is your second hour
1: hi and welcome to mind shifters radio hour number two this is Friday, May the 26th, 2023, and our call-in number is 563-999-3581, and press 1, and that puts you in the queue to talk to us, and I see a hand already up. We'll give Michael just a minute to get dialed in, but I'm going to welcome Susan. Hi. Hey,
3: kiddo. Welcome back. Your voice sounds so much better.
1: Yeah, I um still have a sore throat, but I'm getting on the other side of it. And as soon as Michael gets on, we're actually going to talk about the healing crisis and kind of go. Oh, my it, so. God, okay. <laughs> yeah, so everybody hang in there with us. How was your trip? Everything went well? Oh, I don't think that you're asking... you've been back on. I mean, that we've been back on since, yeah. You were gone for a couple Sorry, days. I lost you. Oh, you were gone for a couple of days. I don't think we've talked to you. Oh, we've yeah. been gone then.
3: <laughs> yeah, right. We we had a grandson graduate. My daughter's youngest boy. He's wonderful, and he, it was wonderful. It was a good trip. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so glad you're awesome. better, Jeannie.
1: Thank you. It's uh, it has definitely been a trip. <laughs> um, I think and, so. Y- yeah. And Michael's going to talk more about the healing crisis. We've learned a few things through this, but, uh, you know, one of the things that we always talk about is that when energy comes into the body, it creates symptoms. And whenever we get vital enough to heal whatever that issue is on the way out, the symptoms look identical. And, um, it was, it was, Kind of strange because I had my normal checkup last week, last Tuesday, and everything went, you know, really well. My blood work came back pretty good. Some of my things were a little bit crazy, Um, but uh, we kind of knocked that up to some of the stress of, you know, when I had my blood work done was shortly after uh, dad's burial and trying to get things settled and everything. And stress can definitely impact like, you know, cholesterol and things like that, there was one uh, piece of blood work that came back, like, really high, and I actually sent it to my sister-in-law and was like, what is this? And it was called, like, absolute EOS and opal soils or something. Anyway, it was, like, 539 and was marked as super high. And she wrote back and she said, well, that usually means that you've either got um, parasites or... Um, bad allergies, you know, and she asked me if I was feeling bad. She said it was um, white blood cells that kick up when there's, like, some Mm. kind of infection or something. And so possibly this started back then, but um, Mm. when then I started, you know, really feeling bad. I told her when I went that I had a sore throat, but I marked it up to allergies. And then... Two days later, it was like such a sore throat. I mean, I couldn't even swallow. And Uh. um, one of the things that had transpired in that meantime was that the school that Aria goes to, and that's her granddaughter, for those that don't know by now, um, they had an outbreak in the three-year-old class, which isn't even Aria's class, of mono.
3: Mm. And
1: so when I wasn't getting any better, and then I, you know, I told her, I said, you know, one I said, Check me for strep throat and I said, And then check me for mono because you know, I might have gotten that from my granddaughter Although she would hadn't experienced, she hadn't shown, you know, symptomatically or anything other than a runny nose and her eyes would get kinda of gunky every now and then which she lovingly told me, she says, Nene, if you don't blow your nose, it'll come out your eyes. <laughs> He was saying it was eye boogers. (laughs) And uh, so, anyway, I know. But really, you know, and Ryan and Gabby had some eye stuff going on and and sore throats and horse, but they didn't get really down with it. And they just thought it was allergies, too. And so, potentially, we've all had it. But um, what we come about to realize when one of the things I told Michael when my throat was hurting so bad and I said, it has never hurt this bad except when um, I was 15 years old and I had Bono. And I said, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't have my tonsils now. But uh, anyway, I I never did run a fever. I totally lost my voice, and um, it just hurt so bad I couldn't even swallow water. And so when I went back to the doctor and they did a strep test. They did COVID tests. Those came back negative. And so they did blood work to do the uh, mono test. And it came back positive for mono. However, he said that my white blood count was high. And so that meant that it had raced up to fight an infection. And it wasn't a current mono, that it was like it was recent, but it wasn't active right now. And I thought, wow, if, it, if it's not active, and I feel this horrible, you know. But um, oh my God! Yeah. Anyway, the uh, piece of blood work that had previously shown extremely high—the one where my sister-in-law said, you know, it's either asthma or allergies or parasites—that was back in the 200 range. It had dropped over 300 points in just a couple of weeks. And so that tells me that, you know, yeah, I was probably fighting it back then and didn't realize it. However, what we was looking at is that, and one of the things that came up for me was uh, I told Michael, I mean, I I told him, I said, I could cry if it didn't hurt so bad, you know, because it would have hurt my throat, cry or anything. And uh, he said, well, what's the thought behind that? And I said that I'm a bother. And I said, and that's what I felt when I had mono when I was fifteen, because you know, Mom had three other kids besides me, and here I was laid up for two weeks sick and and uh, felt horrible. And you know, she had to you know get my homework and things like that. And so you know, I felt I really felt like I was being a father, and I felt that way so this last few days. You know, that I mean, Michael's been a trooper. I've been up half the night coughing and you know one day I one night I actually came to the living room because I wanted him to at least get some sleep I was getting about three or four hours of sleep a night and horrible. Uh, he insisted I come back in and and lay down and he kept hands on my throat and on my mm-hmm. chest on my lungs and just doing hands-on energy work on me and, I mean, he stayed right there with me. Every time I'd cough and wake up, he'd roll over and put his hand on me or something. But uh, it was it was that thought again. I had to do some forgiveness work around it that I was being a bother and uh, that, you know, it was an inconvenience. But anyway, because I couldn't swallow, say the least, I, I, I uh, wasn't even drinking water and... So when I went and they had done the blood work, I mean, she had to stick me like three times to find a vein that she could get blood out of. She was like, you are so dehydrated. And I thought, well, if I am this dehydrated now, I can't drink water. So um, they gave me a liter of just saline solution, just fluids. And I felt a little better after that. And then yesterday, um, I got up and my eyes were swollen and and looked horrible and i called her and and i was like you know i don't know what this is i said but now it's in my eyes and uh, so she had to come back in they retested me again for covid and for strep and both of those came back negative again and uh, so she put me on a, a vitamin c iv drip since i'm not taking any supplements or anything for the last several days and they had given me a prescription but they said you can't take it on an empty stomach, and I said, well, then I can't take it because I can't even swallow water. I'm sure not going to be able to swallow food. And uh, yeah. I asked her, I said, you know what's going on with the eyes? I said, is this the same thing? And she said, yeah. She said, when your body's pushing stuff out, it's going to find the closest orifice, you know, <laughs> to go out of. And Whoa! She did, it's the g- gunk's trying to come out your eyes as well as your nose and down your throat. And so anyway. Um, and you know, I've been using t- natural tears, uh, these eye drops, to put them in my eyes yeah. and keep my eyes washed, and and using the hot wash rags. I'm using a neti pot, you know, just we put the saline solution in the thing, and you yes. one nostril and it comes out the other one, and it's you know a little bit yeah. kind of weird, but <laughs> it cleans out the sinuses. Oh, uh, genius, man! Uh, so do and using you know um, like m- mentholated uh, essential oils and stuff on my throat to try to ease the pain and doing as much natural. Then about oh I don't know three o'clock this morning I got up and I went and I did the neti pot again and and I've got honey flavored those racola uh, cough drops that don't have sugar in them but it's got a honey in the middle and so I was yeah. I did that and the and the nasal thing and I went back to the bedroom and Michael said how are you doing and I said better. And when I said that, I mean, it was actually a voice, like what I've got right now. And it's like, oh, and he was like, yay, he you said, your voice is back. I mean, it's still kind of funny uh, sounding, it's but it's wonderful compared to what it was. It so yeah. And uh, uh according, to, according to my Fitbit, I went to bed at eight or went to sleep at 8.15 last night and I got up at 8.15 this morning. But out of that 12 hours, I still got eight hours sleep. So I was up and down for four hours of it, but eight hours is wow. awesome compared to the three it is. four hours I've been getting. Yeah, and uh, so it's it's moving in the right direction. And one of the things, mm-hmm. and Michael has joined us, so I'll let him talk more about the healing crisis and what it looks like. But he got a couple of new hits on the healing crisis as well. Um, so mm-hmm. we've been learning, and uh, it is a <laughs> healing process. And I think that I. You know, yes, maybe, um, Aria yeah. you know, they say that once you've had mono, it lays like dormant in your body forever. And, uh, um, yeah. that usually it doesn't kick back in. So I don't know if it was, you know, just that I had gotten to a, a vital enough level to deal with the trauma, um, mm-hmm. or, or what it was, but, uh, or if it was truly that Aria brought the, you know, virus back alive or whatever but whatever it was i got to move through it and one of the good things that's come out of it is i have had pain in like the back of my neck for i don't know how long and i mean even the chiropractor he works on it every other week or whatever but since i've had this mono thing going on the pain in the back of my neck is totally gone Mm, wonderful wonderful So Michael said, you know, that that's probably where I was holding, storing the trauma. And then once Mm -hmm. I was vital enough to release it, the closest place for it to come out from the back of my neck is to come through my throat and through my sinuses and eyes and whatever else. All right. So so that's the update of why we've played shows for the last two days. Because it's been just about showtime when the doctor has said, come in and get another IV. Oh, yeah. You know, so I've been given I think my weekly dose. I don't think I can get any more for this week. And uh but I was able to drink today and Michael and I are doing lemon water with cayenne pepper, which I told him to go light on my cayenne because it burns my throat. But oh, um, we're yeah. doing that. <laughs> and then I cooked up some fresh pears until they're almost mush. So I'm gonna have my first meal after the radio show. <laughs> Good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so good. Welcome, Michael. I was just kind of giving a rundown of what I physically had cool. been through and, and that we were looking at it as a healing crisis from when I was 15.
4: Yeah, it's uh, it's confirmed for me. Uh, a whole new level of understanding of the healing crisis in some pieces. You know, it's been almost 40 years since I had a practice where I actually worked with people on a daily basis, and I didn't have the understanding. You know, in, in uh, naturopathic school, they, they taught healing crisis, but they never taught it on this level. It was very surface and cursory, and so I developed my understanding, and I got a couple of major new pieces. Of the puzzle, which is uh, for me was pretty cool, and one of them was that you know you drink quite a bit of water, but when you went to the doctor and they tried doing IV, they're like you're dehydrated. Like, well, you're drinking plenty of water. How could that be? Oh, okay. Let's remember the function of mucus. It's a thin, watery substance. It's meant to lubricate, but if there's toxicity, it thickens. It traps the toxicity and here's where the virus goes when it disappears it traps the toxicity in that mucus and lays down thin you know if you blow your nose in kleenex come back three days later you had a big full kleenex and there's almost nothing there it's dehydrated and so when it dehydrates within the body it traps that toxicity which protects the cell and that's not going to open up again until you've got enough vitality to face that energetic pattern that's stuck in there and and for you, it seemed at least a component of the energetic pattern was uh, was the, you know, I'm a bother. And go back, you know, when Jeannie was 15, she had mono, and at 16, moved out of the house and got married to an insane man uh, to escape from the house. So, you know, all of that energy going on. And, uh, you know, this is the second viral quote unquote assault you've had. When COVID happened, you had that pain. You've been dealing with that pain in the back of your neck for three or four years and it disappeared. It's kind of worked mm-hmm. its way back in. So next level, next layer to be dealt with and moved through. And so realizing that when whatever's locked in the mucal uh, deposits, we're vital enough, the body says, okay, I can handle this now. It's got to rehydrate it. So where does the water go? It's absorbed by the mucus so that the body can start to move it out. And, of course, what do you do? You cough, you snot, your eyes, you know, it's all elimination. And that's, of course, one of the the keys in recognizing that uh, uh, you're in a healing crisis as opposed to a disease process is that there's an increase in elimination. And you've had a mega major increase in that. So that's been... Pretty, pretty profound. And the other thing that really came clear is, you know, the, um, the medical doctor they they look at symptoms and that's it. And so, according to their blood test, uh, Jeannie has had a an active case of mono recently, but it's not active now. And, obviously, and you know, of course, it's been the last two days that it's just exploded symptomatically. So this would be the active phase if, in fact, it were an active case of mono. But I'm, like, 100% sure it's not. The test said it wasn't, but it said there was one recently. And so looking back, it's been, you know, 50-plus years since she had mono, and the body's loosening that mucus, pulling that vi- what's called a virus out. And it's not showing that it's currently active because it's inactive, but all the symptoms that went with it 50 years ago are now moving out of her body. So we'll just wow. you know, keep an eye and watch what happens. But on the next, you know, what, what one finds, what I've found, you know, I've been really the main person I've observed over the last since I, you know, stopped practicing medicine as such and uh, working with people with other than, you know, the the forgiveness process. And uh, so, I've only had myself to observe, and what I've observed is each time I go through a major healing crisis, I come out a little lighter, a little more connected to love, and uh, and more vital. You know, I, I look back over the years, and when I look at how sick I was a ki- as a kid, I mean, I was dead almost or almost dead three or four times in the first year of my life, and I lived on an inhalator and pills, and there was a time period where if I didn't have four cups of coffee, I didn't get moving in the morning. It was just, you know, I was it. And uh and so now, you know, I'm usually up. You know, sometimes I sleep in but oftentimes I'm up at five thirty and ready to rock and roll and I certainly don't use any stimulants like coffee as I as I used to. But I've noticed that each time I'm more connected, I'm more my physiology leads more with love each time I go through one. That's kind of the major observation that I have. So we'll it'll be interesting to just uh see how that moves for Jeannie with this major. I mean, this is a digging back that far Jeannie, is as a result of a monumental pardon me a monumental amount of work that you've done it's just profoundly powerful and uh, next level next layer and you know you you know when we talk about satan the resistor and when we're in resistance you know, there's been a, a period, and of course this is for all of us, but a, a period of resistance. But somebody, most of you might remember that back, oh, maybe three or four months ago, Jeannie did a power person worksheet on her mom and just opened a whole new place of understanding. And what I've observed since then has been a whole new level of willingness. And so the uh, the resistor, when cleaned out, lets go of that resistance, and it's just, oh, here's the next layer. So... So, awesome work, sweetheart.
1: Thank you. And I told so what what that you what a trooper too, because I said that uh, Say it again, sweetheart. you had been up with, I said you had been a trooper, too, because um, every time I would call for whatever, you were up. And I said I tried to move into the other room to so you could rest. And you insisted on us stay there and kept your hands on me, on my throat, and lungs, and whatever, doing energy work. And Sending love and just being there, even when I'd wake up. Here, you know, I said I was in bed for twelve hours last night, awake four of it, and um, did get eight hours sleep. But that means that you were awake four of it as well. So, thank you so much.
4: Yeah, and the still points that you hit, well, especially as I was really kind of digging into your throat and into your lymphs, there were pretty pretty deep and pretty pretty awesome.
3: Well, so, I what does that so. resonate for you, Miss Susan? That's oh, an amazing story. Yeah, I mean, when Jeannie came on to announce that you were going to do, well, first she announced Dr. Tim's hour, and I thought, oh my God, where's Jeannie? <laughs> yeah. Doesn't sound like Jeannie. <laughs> Not Jeannie at all. At
1: it's, it's nice to have her back.
4: Actually, she's talking I yeah. know.
1: <laughs> I thought that. Geez.
3: And you made nothing out of it, Jeannie. You didn't say, well, I'm sick. You didn't, and all of us, I'm, I'm sure our hair was standing on end saying, oh, my God, what's happening with Jeannie? And she's not even talking about it. So everybody was on alert. Yeah.
1: Well, I thank oh, you for maybe. all the love you sent to and the text sending saying, you know, how are you doing? So I appreciate that. Well, I
3: wanted a report. I was telling Tim, Jeannie is sick. And we've got to get her well. We've got to give her send a lot of love down there.
4: <laughs> so maybe we can change that. the language a little bit okay. when we see someone who's is what the world crazy. calls sick. Yeah, rather, yeah right. rather than reinforcing sick and sending that mind energy, because our mind energy has an impact on everything it touches. That we can yeah. look at, oh, okay, so symptoms going on, so I'm going to hold the space for you thing, for eternal life. You know, I, I remember a conversation you and I had way back uh, in the beginning of the show, and I called you the young lady, and it was kind of a an insult to you, and I've actually had more than one person say that. And yet at the same time, what it is for me is holding that mental space, that mind energy space, always of healing no matter what the external world looks like whether it's myself (laughs) or someone else to hold that Mm -hmm. space means there's at least one vote somewhere in the world for support of healing where most of the world looks at symptoms and goes oh no i hope you live through it
3: (laughs) so changing the mind energy
4: i think is a key
3: right that was a very good correction uh, I understood what you meant, and I got it. And it's a, a, a wonderful thought.
1: Oi, oi, oi!
4: You remember the uh, the line in the Course in Miracles that speaks about? and you've, I've repeated this several times on the show because it's the there are two paragraphs, the two most important paragraphs in the Course that I, have touched me, and each time i read them way back 35 40 years ago i'd go into a totally altered state and it's in, in the idea of words and what it speaks of in the second of those two paragraphs is that you go back to the world of symbols back to the world what the course calls it the darkness rules you know if we we if we think our eyes the picture in our brain is what's out there We're believing in a symbol and and voiding the truth of the actuality. And then if we name it, we put a word to it, then that lack of the truth or darkness, we make another symbol for it. And so the Course talks about how we live by symbols of symbols. And so that one paragraph takes us back to, so you go back to the world of darkness or pardon me, the world that darkness rules, and you use the words of that world, but not because you believe in it, but only to proclaim the unreality of it mm-hmm. in terms of still have meaning in that world of darkness. So, you know, if you go back over twelve years of archive shows you'll find that probably 90% of, it, of the language that comes from me is about, okay, so I hear that you have this going on, but what about? And stepping out of the darkness and getting back to the truth of what's going on and moving to the connectedness with love is such, a, it's such an important part of the process that, you know, while churchy-envy is spoken about it, it doesn't give us much at least in many circles, doesn't give us much uh, hope for doing anything about it.
3: Yeah, it's a whole way of thinking and tools that you get great stuff in church, but we have to, we need the bridge of the understanding that the tools and uh, everything that you're teaching is like the Bridging the gap between the texts that we're getting. Doing the work. Yeah, right. Doing the work.
4: You know, that that uh, component of disciples that left saying, too hard a thing. I don't want to go in there and deal with this. Don't make me, you know. Don't make me feel. Don't make me look. And when we start to look, you know, what Jeannie's been through the last couple days is kind of what we have to look at. I remember I was in... uh, Arizona, this goes back probably hmm, 23, 24 years ago, and I'd gone out there to speak, and I went into a mega, major healing crisis. And, you know, my problem was always the lungs, and I mean, I was coughing, and I was bringing up green and yellow phlegm, just, you know, beyond what you could imagine. And the people that I was staying with actually were afraid that I was dying. It's like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is perfect. I'm right on track. This is the next layer of what I need to clear out of these lungs and this structure from decades of drugs that were given to me by medical practitioners and, you know, toxic life-threatening energies that were going on that almost killed me. So, you know, this is what healing looks like, folks. It ain't Dr. Feelgood, and that's why most people, when they start to get close to it, run off and find a way to suppress.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, that's true across the board.
1: And, I mean, I've been doing a lot of things. And it kind of shocked me of
3: that when
4: Gene. Go ahead,
1: Jean. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, we've well, done a lot of things to make it easier without stopping it
4: yes yeah yeah there are, there are times when, if it becomes too strong, yeah, you've got to do something suppressive that's, that's you know, but do it con- you know if somebody's got a headache, uh, you know their, their body does not lack aspirin, but I would never say to somebody, "Don't take an aspirin if you have a headache. you know there's something going on, there's something you need to deal with, so go ahead and do your work and take the aspirin, you know, like why suffer through a headache and right. to the, to the degree that you shut things down, it extends the length of and engages in the risk of losing this healing opportunity because every moment, you know, we never know what all the factors are from the nutritional to, you know, the person who's sending us good vibes to the thoughts we think to the issues that are surfacing. We never know what all the factors are that brought me to the moment where I have the opportunity to heal this. And every time mm-hmm. one comes to them, the moment where they can heal this, it's precious, precious time. And, you know, somebody runs out and pops a pill and shuts it down. It might be decades before they get back to all the right. takes to bring that particular issue to the surface. And maybe it's something that's, you know, 10 generations old and it's not Dr. Feelgood to experience, but it's so important if we're actually going to heal. Mm-hmm. rather than just treat diseases and, you know, and then die. <laughs> right.
3: Oh. Uh.
4: Well, and when so we spent in the morning, I'm looking artists. out the window right now, we're we're up to, how many plants, did you count them, Jeannie? we got about 30 different native species in our new little native species space where we're eradicating our lawn and putting in native species plants. So this morning, I was out digging holes and planting them as Jeannie was directing me as to where to put the plants. So we had fun this morning. Got oh, some sunshine really? on our bodies. Wow,
3: that's great that yeah. you could do that. Yeah, when you say so you're talking about us facing a challenge. Exactly. All then? of us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And All it of is. us. Yep, I know. And fear can get right in there and ball us up the work. Yep.
4: Yeah, that's such an important directive from Yeshua that's so ignored. So often in the church is fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. Just don't let your mind get into that state. And if it does, here's a tool: Mm -hmm. get some forgiveness, go and get rid of that fear, because that that sucker's a killer.
3: Got to remember, all will be well, all is okay.
4: I like the story of the the king who speaks to his kingdom and says, I, I, I'm going to offer half of my kingdom to the person that can make me. This was a, you know, a, a, a bipolar king, to, to someone who can make me happy when I'm sad and sad when I'm happy. And the person who got half the kingdom was the person handed him a coin that said, This too will pass. Oh. You know, the mind tends to think whatever's vibrating at the moment is the end all and the be all and it's here forever. And it's not no the end of all and the be all. What's here forever is yep. being. And the stuff yep. that passes through the mind passes through the mind. If we resist it and fight it and shut it down, then we get to do it over and over and over again. There's a book about that. Yep. Uh, and or yeah. <laughs> we can we can process through it and be done with it, like over mm-hmm. and done with.
3: Oh.
4: Yeah. So that's what this 12-year conversation is all about. Right. So how did the wedding go? I've been wondering since you answered me that uh, that uh, it was Saturday, and, or a week ago Saturday, and that uh, the young men were doing well. So I'd love to hear how it went.
3: Oh, thank you. Um, it was a graduation, not a wedding. But I the graduation. Of I didn't mean a wedding. That's all right.
4: Yeah, I meant graduation, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, the crucial person was Jacob, and he did, he did quite well when he was there. He interacted with a lot of people. It was at his old school, so a lot of people ran up to him and hugged him and said how much they missed him, and they remembered him well. And he came out of his shell and was social and smiling. And I thought, oh, my God, this is so great, because he's been predicting disaster coming down, because his mother was going to drug test him when he arrived. Right. Was very angry about that. And he made a lot of trouble about the drug test, and I won't go into that, but it was a lot of drama around that drug test. And they were up till 3 a.m. trying to get him to urinate to get the pee so they could find out if the drug was in there. And he said he couldn't and he wouldn't, and this was melting and all. Finally he did. And, I mean, my daughter was up a lot of the night, staying, you know, pressing him because she said she was going to do it. Um, and it came out negative. Which Congratulations is great, for her that... to
4: stick by guns.
3: Oh, my God. And it came out negative, and I know weed stays in your system. So it's... she figured right then that he's probably telling the truth about being sober. So then she said, Jacob, now that I know you're sober, I can start helping you financially. I was stopping all funds coming in because it might go toward weed, and we weren't supporting that. And so he's. Counting on her again, which means he's not, he's been fired from his latest job. He gets testy uh, at work. He's doing a lot of things that shoot himself in the foot. And I've been using, why is this happening to me again, ideas with him, be complaining about the whole world. All, oh, everybody's against him. And uh, today we had a horrible discussion, and I stayed in the space of love and I did my breathing. But basically, he's saying the world is. It's ruining my life and I don't even want to live. He's really not he's back at school, he's back at his apartment, supposed to take a course. He's not doing it. He's supposed to look for another job, not doing it cuz now he's counting on grandparents and parents paying his bills. And meanwhile, he's treating us terribly. He's rude. He's acts entitled and arrogant and I know it's all fear. He's terrified And I'm having trouble staying with him, but I'm staying with him and I'm just saying no matter what's going on, everything will be okay and you are loved and you will be supported. You have to pitch in, though. you got to do it. Why should I do that? You guys are rolling in money, he's saying. Uh, So it's a very – he's obviously got some serious mental challenges and he's acting like a young, young teenager, the worst part of young teenager. This is the biggest challenge. I mean, I've had some physical challenges and all kinds of stuff, but he is most on our mind, and it was mostly about him, unfortunately. This graduation should have been about the youngest one who did so well, and I had wonderful talks with him. But it's Jacob who's taking all our attention, and it's a challenge. So, you know, when I was going to get on the radio show, I was going to say, help, but then Jeannie comes in and says, well, what we're going to do today, and I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> so, anyway, <laughs> yeah. you're getting the report, and I'm at a loss, except that I know to hold the space of love and never give up hope, and it's tempting, and it's tempting to be scared, too, because he, he's got suicidal ad- ideations, and he's isolated in his room, writing songs about self-destruction, and it's, it's not good. Yeah. Uh, that's the tough stage, to stand yeah. back
4: and watch that but uh unfortunately you can't uh you can't change another mind directly. They have to do it themselves. No. You can encourage. You know, one of the things that in, in at least one situation that I found really was helpful when I've shared this with you before, is like, Okay, I trust you. I trust you're gonna yep. do what you need to do. And Yep.
3: Um, I use that much. I do. You're smart you're talented you'll you'll be okay you'll figure it out or you'll do it and uh, you know how to handle I I do that for him too but the the suicidal stuff gets and he says he's been to six different therapists and shown them our texts i'm sure he doesn't show them verbatim because they're full of a lot of ugliness from him you've seen some of those and the therapist, school one, has said your your parents are manipulative and they're not nice people, and your grandparents too. It's no, a very he's sick telling you that. Yeah, he's telling me that.
4: Yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't necessarily believe what you're being told.
1: <laughs>
4: one oh no, of the things, I'm the not the alcoholic and drug-addled mind, yeah, and drug-addled mind is they're really good at conning people.
3: That's the. Mm-hmm. Yep, and he's he's drug-addled, he's on lots of pharmaceuticals. He's not taking weed maybe, but he's anyway, it's it's heartbreaking for all of us to see this. We don't know what's well, going
4: to happen. I would I would offer that you might want to shift that thought about having to break your heart over it. Okay. and that you keep your heart intact. Remember, that's one of your challenge areas and that your language goes to heartbreaking mm-hmm. and that uh, you keep your heart in a and your thoughts about your heart and your language about your heart in an arena of, you know, this brings up hurt that I'm processing through or what have you, if there's hurt in the heart, but to uh, to put into language that... It's heartbreaking. Might not be the highest thing for you.
3: Yeah. Okay. Good so let's point.
4: Maybe shift that that language and that thought. And um, I join you in holding the space. I, I empathize with how much of a challenge it is.
3: And um, I have a good report about Luke. We all had lunch, and I was sitting with him. He said, "Orb." I used to wake up in total panic every day. Now I wake up and I'm bursting with joy and I'm making my gratitude list and I'm so happy to be alive and so happy to have this chance. And thank you so much for doing that intervention, which I dissed for two years. I insisted right. that you made me drink more and you that's what happened. I drank more. I was so insulted, but you actually per- precipitated my hitting bottom opening. a lot sooner and I hit bottom and you sent me again to a second rehab place and that was the one that did the trick. I got it. And he has a, a new old car, a used car and he drives people to AA meetings. They call it the vehicle, the miracle mobile or something like that. And he, He's running several That's AA awesome. meetings. It is. It's wonderful. And Jacob is is seeing this, um, but, you know, who knows what he's doing with it right now anyway. But that was, yeah. it was just wonderful to hear. Me. Have so,
4: you I invited Jacob to consider giving up his victim role?
3: Oh, yeah, Michael. Oh, and he AA says, you know, blaming the world is getting you nowhere, and, playing the victim getting yep. no here and he insists on going to aa meetings but he's not getting it yet so yeah <clears throat> i use every tool in the book with him your tool. Yep. i can't get him to do a wake up sheet but i'm i'm his michael rice as best i can be
4: <laughs> how about a conversation that goes along the line of He's in this mode about how he's somebody's victim. Whoever it is, whether it's yours or his mom's or the school mm-hmm. or you know somebody at school or his girlfriend, whoever, whatever it is. Uh, how about an approach that just says, "Well, if 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 you had the ideal outcome, what you'd really like mm-hmm. to have happen in that situation, what would it be?" And he's mm-hmm. going to formulate, the best of his ability, what his goal is. Mm -hmm. And then, without going into a conversation about forgiveness or anything else, it's like, so so notice when you have that goal active in your mind, you're in a whole lot of pain and upset. What if you just Mm -hmm. drop that goal? What if you just let go of it? Do you feel more peaceful? Do you feel Mm -hmm. more connected? And, you know, maybe just that without saying this is forgiveness and shebag and cancel all, but just, you know, when you think, oh, if only such-and-such such would do such-and-such, such, then I could be happy. Yeah. What if you just let go of that thought? And that might great help idea. to open a space yeah. for him, whatever whoever his object of attention is. You know, just what, what mm-hmm. would If you could tell them in succinct words what you want them to do, what would it be? Yeah. And notice as long as you're holding on to that thought, you're in pain. What if you just let
3: yeah. go of that thought? That's a great idea, Michael. I haven't done that. And I know what he'll say. He'll say, "I want my mom to stop doing this and stop doing that." I want you guys to give me so money. So get him, get him, him to shift. Yeah,
4: get yeah. him to shift over rather than what he doesn't want from his mom into what would be the ideal. I do want this from my mom. Okay. Because when idea. he can get to that, and if you can inspire him to just drop that for a minute, he's engaged in forgiveness.
3: That's great, Michael. Perfect. Perfect. I hope he can do that. I hope he's willing. He stays in touch with me even though he's mad as hell at me. He sends me lyrics to songs he's writing. And I write back, I love getting your stuff. Keep being creative, you know. And, oh, it's like two different dialogues going on at the same time. Yeah.
4: Oh, is heart.
3: I don't envy kids coming up in
4: today's world with the, no, all the distractions and the... Easy drugs and the the raves at schools, the alcohol, you know, it's like just so awesome. crazy. It
3: is, yep. And he uses that too. He says it's a terrible world, and I'm never gonna. Nobody in my age group gets a job. They go home and live with their parents, and they hate it, and all that stuff. A lot of them do that. They're yeah. going home, back home, I'm hating it. Yeah, Michael, thanks for listening to all that. You've had such deal in fact I wanted to ask you how are you doing staying up half the night and holding throats and chests and everything
4: (laughs) oh I'm doing well I'm doing I'm still resting still taking care of myself having fun in the garden we're enjoying that we've been out scouting you know empty fields and there's an old factory about maybe two miles from the house here and we're four or five indigenous plants, this old factory that's been torn down and so we've been out digging up plants and but but other than that taking care of ourselves. Resting as well. We had a good, good. uh uh session yesterday in the uh Hear My Voice book club. On chapter good. three in the in the book Why is this happening to me again and you know, so we're just rocking along.
1: It was chapter four, wasn't
4: it? Or chapter four, pardon me, yeah. Yeah. So that's, and, uh, oh, I didn't, I haven't sent that. Did I send that to you, Jeannie? She sent me the no. the link to that. Oh, okay, I'll I'll get it and send it to you. So we're building a uh, a library of chapter-by-chapter book study on why she sent me to me again, so that'll be something to be available, folks.
3: And, nice.
4: You know, just rocking along.
3: Yeah. Good.
4: Life is Jeannie a blessing and a gift.
3: Isn't that so? And I hope Jeannie isn't jumping into the saddle too fast. I know how. No, when owned, we went out um,
4: when we went out to do the garden today, I set a seat out for her, and here you are, and you just sit and relax. And direct me. <laughs> she's mm-hmm. got the eye for that. So good. So she wasn't allowed to touch any tools or anything. Just. <laughs> <laughs> And no computer.
3: It's hard to get her to
4: cooperate with that. but
3: I know. I can just imagine. The computer, the cleaning up clutter, watching babies. And, mm, gosh.
4: Take it easy. But she's doing better and better at stopping and, and taking rest time and taking care of herself. So that's pretty awesome.
3: That's wonderful. That's wonderful.
1: And we were supposed to have Aria the last two days, and we have not. So we mm. even gave oh, that good. up to... Yeah. So, but I thought was something I'm else. Sure yeah. Does. What did you think? of I was just going to say, you know, when you were talking earlier about, you know, that the blood test showed mono, but not active mono. That was. It reminded me of, you know, we've talked before about energy that passes through. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you have an antenna on your house, or well, you used to, you don't now, but um that picked up signals. Well, the signals of every radio station, every TV station, whatever, are there and passing through, but the antenna only captures what it's aligned to, and so exactly. while the blood test, you know, showed that it was mono, but yet it was not active, you know, I could have Changed the mind energy and grabbed on to it and created it again. But just exactly. understanding that and allowing the energy to pass through. And, yeah, the symptoms were there and everything, but not grabbing on and making it a whole new case again.
3: Right. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, if... if um if one didn't know any better, if she hadn't had that blood test and if somebody looked and said, Mono, it would be, oh, boy, this is really rocking in your body. I mean, she was really severely, severely symptomatic, but no active case. And to me, that's just another proof. Okay, so here, you know, she's 15. She had a severe case. What's her body doing? It's going back and retracing those symptoms. That's just part that's of the so healing process.
3: That it wasn't active, and yet they noticed it. I've never heard of that before.
1: Yeah, I thought it was not really weird. Not sure what you mean too. by that. That, that they said, like, you know, it's mono, but yet it's not active mono when like right. so symptomatic and it.
3: I never heard that before from a doctor.
4: Yeah. It was good input. It was another another piece of the puzzle wow. on understanding wow. the healing crisis for me. So boy. And of course we we don't We don't tend to spot things or give a meaning to things, good, bad, or indifferent, that we don't have brain cells for. So to me, it's uh, continually building the brain cells and coming to higher and higher levels of awareness and uh, functioning more and more as human beings. (laughs) So, anything else on your mind for today, young lady? Anything we can support you with?
3: Well, a little encouragement on the keto diet. I've been on it for two weeks. I'm very strict. It was hard to stay strict with my daughter, but I did. And I've gone through what looks like a healing crisis with it, and I've read that these things are to be expected. Fatigue, headache, dizziness, um, as your body adjusts, from not getting any carbs. You're being fueled in a whole different way. It's like a, a crossover right. or an adjustment. Um, uh, and, and I'm in touch with the doctor. It's a Dr. Eric Berg. You may have heard of him. He's got a lot of YouTube things. And just to look at him, you know, he's really doing something good because he looks very well himself, and that's usually uh-huh. an indication. It's good <laughs> he, a good sign of the doctor. Got a, ton of videos, and he sells supplements. Uh, One of the things that I don't have is potassium and K1, and I don't want to get into a whole lot of pills and stuff, but these imbalances show up if you're on the keto thing. You need certain things, and so you probably know about all that. But anyway, it's been a really interesting time, and I can tell that it's really good, but my doctor keeps pressing me to take this statin drug, and I just, I've got it, I've got the pills, and I'm saying, give me a while, I want to do something first. And he's pushing, so I'm pushing back, basically. That's the only thing, it's kind of weird. Mm.
4: Well, holding the space that awareness comes, And that you have that inner guide that directs you to exactly where you need to be. And who knows, you might just open a space for that doctor to open
1: something. Maybe. Yeah. And not doing the carbs should lower your uh, cholesterol, too.
3: Yeah, and uh, blood glucose, neither of those has lowered at all after two weeks. So I'm curious about why. Maybe it's too soon. I don't know.
4: Oh, hold the space and keep reporting. Keep educating us. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Well, we appreciate Michael. you, and you have a blessed
3: day. Thanks. You too. All
4: keep right. Getting well Take care. You. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Oh, Ms. Um, nobody else has a hand up. No questions in the chat room. So we have uh, 11 minutes. If somebody has a comment or a question or whatever, press 1.
4: So if you're out there in listener land, our calling number, if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, is 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you're listening to the show directly. And then if you push 1, that raises a hand in the control panel. And through the amazing technology of Blog Talk Radio, Jeannie just pushes a button and we're talking. So how can we support you? What's on your mind? We'd love to hear your voice. Anything going on in your world that we can support you with? Anything we question we can answer about the tools? about the process of healing. Push one. Let's have a conversation. And if we're down to the last 10 minutes, I'm not really too interested in a starting a whole new conversation.
1: A- oh, great. I do would much rather do that. Great. Okay. <laughs> right. uh, I'm not sure who it is. It's area code 248. You're on the air. Who do we have? Good afternoon.
0: Hi there, Hi. young lady. How are you? I'm well.
4: How are you guys doing? We're rocking. Getting better every um, day. I'm a, it is.
0: I just started listening to you this week, and I want to know more about um, dealing with the hostility and fear and how that's in our DNA, how you talked about that yesterday, how we need to release
4: that. Right. Right. Um, so, uh, have you tapped into the forgiveness worksheet yet, the reality management worksheet?
0: Yes, yes, I did that a couple of weeks ago. Okay, and it, it, so it, it was very powerful.
4: So there's there's the core of how you peel out the layers of old hostility and fear. And you know, as I was just talking with Susan and working with her grandson, and suggested that she ask him to identify when he's an upset exactly what he wants from whoever he's pointing his upset at. And so the essence Mm -hmm. of the forgiveness process is, you know, if, uh, you know, I'm talking to somebody and they, quote, unquote, in my mind, insult me and I go into rage toward them, what did I want from them? Well, I wanted that person to speak to me lovingly, gently, and with respect.
2: Mm -hmm. So...
4: In that circumstance, when someone tells me that they went into rage when they wanted somebody to treat them lovingly, gently, and with respect, what they just told me was in the file, so to speak, in their mind on being treated lovingly, gently, and with respect is rage. And the way to access that rage is to look at and cancel in the Aramaic language the word forgive is shebag it means to cancel so mm-hmm. whenever my mind is pointing upset at somebody or something even if it's myself in the mirror mm-hmm. and I look at the goal that I'm holding and I cancel that goal in Aramaic the word forgive is shabag or shabak, and it means to cancel it's been translated yeah. as forgiveness but it really is about canceling goals and so mm-hmm. You know, if you find yourself in anger toward, you know, your your child or your parent or the neighbor or your boss or whatever, the the starting point of dissolving that anger is to identify what you want from them exactly and precisely. The more precisely you can identify it, the more powerful will be the release when you engage in canceling that goal. And here's what I works, love- here's why it works. Go ahead.
0: Um, it, it is, it's just, I know, it's just an hour, and it's, this is the first time I've, I've, I've asked the question. But um, when you said yesterday, when you um, about the Holy Spirit being a feminine aura, and you gave it names, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't fathom how to spell them, and I want to do more research because you said that helps us deal with a lot of things that we're dealing with, either as right. old trauma. Oh, generational trauma that we are still carrying right now in our DNA today, and it right. comes out in ways that we don't understand, and why we keep doing we we keep doing that. Right. We the yep. pattern of, of you know, wash rinse repeat of things that are destructive to us. Right? Uh, could you give, could you spell that? Ruka.
4: Ruka. Could you?
0: Yeah. If you go to our website.
4: Uh, W-H-Y again dot org.
0: W-H-Y again
4: dot org. Okay. Uh-huh. And in the upper left-hand corner of the page that you'll land on, there's a button that says Start Here. If mm-hmm. you click that Start Here button, it'll start walking you through the whole process. The term mm-hmm. in Aramaic is de Dukudshah, and that's spelled... R U K H A
0: mm-hmm.
4: space apostrophe D
0: apostrophe space D
4: uh huh uh-huh, space K O O D S H A Rukin Kutcha
0: K O O D S H A
4: H A yeah so that's the the um, the term from the Aramaic, <coughs> for me, that was translated as the Holy Spirit by the Greeks. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing there in Aramaic about a disembodied spirit being. What it mm-hmm. speaks of is that inside of us, the Creator put, a f- and here's the definition for Vruka de kutcha, a feminine elemental force in us that does two things. One, undoes the effects of our ears.
0: Undo's
4: and two the today. undoes the effects or errors. That's the first thing she does, and two teaches us the truth. So, you know, if you go back, you can hear Yeshua talking, and and, and, and he he offers. You know, you can deny me, you can deny me. That's no big deal, but don't deny this one that is in you, because that's where your helper is. Okay. And, and to recognize that that power is in you, but you have free will. And if you come from generations and generations of people who are like, well, I'm going to do my own thing and I'll be angry if I want to be and to heck with you, that power mm-hmm. sits back and says, okay, you got free will. You Play your game. Do whatever you want to do. But the day that you go, you know, this game is getting tiring and I need some help, mm-hmm. and I turn to the power and say, I need help with this, whatever it is that I'm really willing to be helped with. Now, let's say anger as the the example. So if I believe that the thing that protects me from, you know, this harm that happened in my early childhood is my anger, I can say to Ruka Dukucha, till the cows come home, take away my anger, take away my anger, I want to get rid of my anger, take away my anger. But if I still am keeping a little anger in my back pocket just in case I need it, then I'm not really consenting. I'm not really, with full will, asking for support. I have to get to the point where I really truly am willing, and one of the ways to do that is to recognize that what drives our perception, you know, there's, there's some Harvard research that says that in a time frame where we can hook you up to electrodes and measure brain cell firings, We can measure Mm -hmm. approximately 10,000 brain cells firing. And in that same time frame, the max amount of data that goes into, that that we're able to be aware of, is nine nine bits bits. of data. Right. So the majority of it is unconscious, and it's our goals that determine which nine bits we get to see. So if I get Mm. nine bits of data that justifies my rage, well, why would I get, let, get, go of my, let go of my rage? I think it protects me. When I recognize that it's my goals that cause my mind to shape my reality that way, the reason I cancel a goal is not because there's something wrong with it. Gee, I want this person to treat me lovingly, gently, and with respect. That's a wonderful goal. That's a, a high-level goal. Gee, everybody should have that goal for everybody in their lives. Why would I want to cancel such a wonderful goal? Because when I load it in my mind, it goes to the part of my mind that holds my rage and it elicits rage from me. So Mm -hmm. I cancel the goal not because I don't want it, not because there's something wrong with the goal, not because I can't have it, but I cancel the goal because I recognize that whenever I load that goal in my mind, it causes my mind to go into rage. So when I cancel the goal, the surface mind's rage has no driver, and it collapses. And when it collapses, it tends to collapse in on itself and help me to be in touch with what's underneath the rage. Mm -hmm. And when I can bring that, and the worksheet's designed to do this, when I can bring that which is hidden underneath it forward in the presence of love, if you remember step four in the worksheet, it's about having love, conscious, active and present, when I can bring that underlying stuff forward in the presence of love, then that underlying trauma, which maybe goes back ten generations in my bloodline, because Rukatakutcha can go through everything in me, that tends to start to come undone. That's where I start to get free of it. And then once I've done that piece of work and, you know, when they said to Yes well, how many times do I have to forgive as to my brother, like How many of these darn worksheets do we have to do anyway? And, you know, Peter in that case says, you know, is seven enough? And Yeshua's answer is no, 77 times 70, which means that I'm going to go through many layers of this healing process, and I can't process out a deeper trauma than I have the vitality to handle. You know, we started the show where we were talking about the, having the vitality, the strength to process through things. And that's why this body of work covers everything from nutrition to the thoughts you think to the acts you do That and provides tools for strengthening and empowering. Because if I've got, let's say, a, a generation that's been passed on to me and I have a level 7 rage and I'm only a level 5 vitality, I can want to get rid of that rage forever, and it's not going to go until I hit a level 7.5 vitality. Till I get stronger than the rage, if it were to let loose in me, it could literally kill me. So that's why we're suggesting you work on every level, right down to your nutrition, right down to the soil you grow your food in so that you're nutritionally solvent, and when some of those deeper levels of things come up, you can process through them. Okay. Does that make sense? The show is going to cut us off any second, and so if, if that opens a space for you, maybe work with it through the weekend, and let's continue this conversation on Monday. We we're, we're don't have any control over when the show cuts off, but let's come back to it on Monday and see if we can offer more support, and maybe you'll have a few more refined questions to ask.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Rice. My name is Lucille.
4: Lucille, delight to meet you. Glad to be on your team. Blessings. Thank you. Enjoy Thank you, everybody, for joining us. All right. Have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?